that I will get to in a moment. Again, Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Would you bow with me once more before I say anything else? Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, asking you to take these words which are yours and to plant them into our minds and our hearts press them deep down into our souls so that we would see the truth of what these words are showing us. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to to take these truths and to shape us by them. Grant the comfort that is needed. Grant the healing that is needed. And for some listening at this moment, perhaps for the first time, grant the faith and the repentance that is needed. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. As I think it is evident about these verses, this was an exchange taking place at what you could say was the darkest, most heinous, most unjust, moment in all of human history. You could take Job and multiply his suffering and it wouldn't compare to what is happening when we hear these words. It is during the crucifixion that two criminals were also crucified on either side of Christ. And if you read the account from Mark and Matthew, what you see that Luke doesn't focus on just before this conversation begins is that both criminals were actually mocking Christ. In fact, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew on Sunday mornings here, and Jesus was a man who was despised and rejected for all of his life. Not in his last years. Not from the middle of his life. But as soon as he became known publicly, he started to experience what it feels like to be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, despised and rejected. And in him we see the ultimate example of grace in the face of such sin. What is amazing 
well, there's a lot of things that are amazing about this passage, but you could start with the fact that these three men have been nailed to three pieces of wood. There's no way I could or would want to go into details about the crucifixion, but it was a terrible way to die, and the purpose of executing criminals like this was to publicly humiliate and shame them at the last point in their life, at their death. That was what this crucifixion in part was supposed to do. So even the act of crucifixion was inhumane, was unjust. But notice that Luke points out this word criminals twice. One of the criminals, but the other criminal. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of this disrespect, this hatred, while the whole crowd is mocking, these two criminals join in and mock. And this is the kind of thing that they were both saying. Aren't you the Christ? Aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you supposedly, based on your own teaching, aren't you supposed to be the king of God's kingdom? If you are that person, save yourself and us. But all of a sudden, we see something miraculous take place. And perhaps because we don't see things like crucifixion or haven't experienced this level of uh, pain, although pain is unique to everyone, we don't appreciate how miraculous this change of heart is. The first thing that I want us to notice from this passage is that this presents for us something that perhaps we've all heard and maybe even said, but at times we either forget or prove we don't believe. And that is this. Salvation is a gift of grace from God. I'll put it to you in one line with a lot of string attached. Salvation is by grace alone. That's where it starts. Through faith alone. No works added. A man nailed to a tree can't do anything. By grace alone, through faith alone, in the person and the work of Christ alone. And it's for the purpose of the glory of God alone. No glory or honor at the end of all days will be given to us for anything good that we do. We will only give praise and honor to God for our salvation. But we see here that salvation is by grace. I I don't know how you can really argue with that from a passage like this. But think about it. This man who is mocking Christ, we don't know his name. We don't know his face. We don't know his history. We don't know how well he did in school. We do know one thing about him. He's about to die. And what is he going to be known as? A criminal. Criminal. I want you to think about that word and hold on to it in your mind. Criminal. What does that do for you this afternoon as you think about that word? 
But we see this criminal has a change of heart. In the midst of the, the most indescribable pain that any human being could ever go through physically, he goes from mocking Christ to actually rebuking his other criminal colleague, perhaps. <coughs> rebuking him and then saying these words, Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? And he makes this remarkable statement. We are here justly. We're being punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. Or some translations say, this man is innocent. The innocent in the middle of the guilty. This is the picture that the, the entire Bible is trying to show us. Screaming at us. Pointing to the one the only one in whom you can receive the grace of God in salvation. The one who came for sinners. And what this criminal shows us is that true saving faith produces something we call repentance. Repentance, basically, metanoia, is a simple word that means a change of mind. But the Bible never just talks about the mind changing. See, when your mind changes your entire life changes. You show me a person who claims to have repented, have changed their mind about certain things, but their life is going in the same direction, you have found a person that does not understand what it means to repent. And this was the gospel that Jesus preached. You can find it all over the New Testament. After He came out of the wilderness from 40 days and 40 nights of testing, he begins preaching and he says, The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is now. Repent and believe the gospel. He's referring to himself. The good news that salvation has come to whosoever will believe. And this thief, or rather criminal, on the cross teaches us about grace. He shows us that repentance can be found and can be had in the worst of moments. And it's a repentance toward God. But notice he also says, as an evidence of his faith and his repentance, that he's guilty. He doesn't deny his guilt. He doesn't try to shift it and point the finger at anyone else. Well, you know, this is how I was born. And so I was taught this in school or... I had the wrong family or society or the devil made me do it. Make it. You can fill in the blank. Look at his words again. Hear them. We are getting what our deeds deserve. That is the beginning of true transformation. Accepting that we are the guilty ones. Owning our guilt. But also, this man is innocent. He's confessing in a simple way that before him or next to him is one who has committed no sin. See, to believe in Jesus Christ in a saving way, in a way that you get forgiveness for your sins, in a way that I believe our dear sister died in faith believing, is not just to accept that he was a person. Every religion accepts that. Every religion and non-religious people even 
except there was a historical man named Jesus Christ who walked this earth for 33 years. That's not enough. The question I want to ask you is this. Do you believe that he was born of the Virgin Mary? That he lived a sinless life in every thought and every moment of his life. He maintained and achieved the righteousness through complete sinless living in every breath. Do you believe he died on the cross? And on that cross, he was taking the place of guilty people, taking the penalty and the punishment for our sins. Do you believe that he rose again, that he's ascended 40 days later into heaven and returning for those who believe in him? These are the kinds of, you could say, elements that make up the gospel. Now, again, the thief, this criminal on the cross, he doesn't know the whole story, but he has become a believer. This is showing us the supernatural work of the Spirit of God in the heart of anyone. He would have heard something about the teachings of Christ. He would have heard people whispering and talking about this man, Jesus Christ, who he claims to be, who his disciples make him out to be. You see there, he believes in the coming kingdom. He doesn't just rebuke the criminal and say, don't you fear God? And by the way, what Proverbs says What Solomon wrote is still true. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise that. He confesses that he believes in a coming kingdom. You see what he says? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's believing that there is life beyond the grave and even resurrection life. Some some mysterious but real life that we're going to be living in a kingdom he describes it this isn't a confession that Jesus is Lord that he is the Messiah that he is the king of God's kingdom and by the way scripture makes it clear that God shares his glory with no one so to confess that Jesus is Lord is not just to say he's a good example he is the divine eternal uncreated son of God who took on flesh to suffer in the place of unworthy sinners like all of us equally. He also shows that he believes Jesus is the only way as Jesus taught, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, including the man in the jungle, no one comes to the Father. No one enters this kingdom except through me. I say these things to you on the authority of God Himself. Because this is the Word of God. Not this iPad. But the words that you find in Scripture and not outside. These are the living words of God that give us eternal life if we repent and believe in His Messiah. We see salvation here for criminals. Again, this is a picture of grace. This is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But secondly, we see a promise to live and to die by. You see, connected with everything I just said, 
There's a great problem that we have that started in the beginning of time. Not long after God made mankind in His likeness and in His image. We chose to not receive this word I've just referred to as the word of God. We chose to not believe that God's word is truth by doing something, by believing the word of a deceiver. And when that deceiver came and caused us to start to think that there's other words beginning with his that may have equal truth, that is when human nature changed as we know it. When Satan tempted Eve. When Eve and Adam disbelieved God's word as truth. God, in his righteousness, showed himself to be true. As he had told them, at the moment you eat of it, you will die. But in grace, he just started physical death. By right, they could have been put to death immediately. And God doesn't need to have image bearers to be sufficient. God doesn't need anything. He is in a league of his own. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need me to stand up here and preach. He doesn't need us. Part of our problem, especially in this modern age, is we think too highly of ourselves. And we need to be reminded of these things, friends. There's a description in these words that I find great comfort in. In the very last word of verse 42. Think about this. The man who lived a life of crime. Whose, whose whole identity was given to us as a criminal. This is what he hears before he dies. Today you will be with me in paradise. See paradise is, is what was lost by sin. It was God who removed us from the garden. It wasn't only the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it was the tree of life that existed in that garden. And when you look at the root word of paradise, as the English word that we have for paradise and the way it's used throughout the Bible, guess what the main, the main picture that is related to that word? It's a garden. It's a garden. And Jesus makes a few important truths, I think, by the way he says this. First of all, while the Bible does use the word sleep and rest, and while it is right to do that, I want to also say on the authority of Scripture to you today, there's no such thing as soul sleep. Hmm. That was quiet. <laughs> there's no such thing as soul sleep. While you live in this life, our bodies need to take naps and rests. But I want you to listen again to these words. Today you will be with me in paradise. And he's not talking about the greatest bed you could think of. In bed, bath, and beauty. He's not talking about sleeping. He's talking about some sort. And you have to be careful here. We don't, we don't have fuller descriptions. But he's talking about some sort of conscious, awake glorious existence that eye has not yet seen and ear has not heard of and the mind cannot conceive of. But this is the truth of the Christian gospel that Christ himself proclaims even 
and is dying. The moment a believer closes their eyes in death, they open them in glory. That's good news, right? Paradise. Paradise. And this teaches us that, and this is another lesson I think all of us need to learn all the time. We can't make our own little paradise here. Dear Cayman Islands, beloved Isles, Cayman, we're not paradise. We're part of this fallen world. We may be lovely. We are. But we're not paradise. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by faith in His Son. Read Romans 3 later. I don't want to misquote it. Paradise is what we lost in sin. And paradise is what is found in Christ alone. Few people have tried to argue that, oh, the comma should have come after the word today. I'm sorry if this is technical, but keep your thinking cap on for a moment. I tell you the truth. Today, comma. In other words, today I'm telling you a particular truth. And here it is. At some unknown time, you'll be in paradise. Okay, I just want you to know, I read 12 or 13 worthwhile translations. Okay, none of them say that. Okay, that, that, that's not the, the, the end all of testing, but here's the deal. Jesus, every time he spoke about going to be with the Father, it wasn't to sleep. It was to be in the visual presence, living with the presence of God. And so Jesus wants us to understand like he did this criminal to understand that even if you are defined by a life of crime, you can die in faith in your last moment and enter paradise. See, we have this temptation, even as Christians, especially for some of us who are not as foolish as I was and spent a few years doing things I wish I didn't understand before I became a Christian. Don't envy a, a, a big testimony, as some people call it. Those of you who grew up and were faithful for many years are probably, possibly more prone to this temptation if you didn't stray too much, to have this nagging feeling towards this criminal. Wait a minute. A criminal is going into the same paradise as me? Ooh, that might feel a little bit dirty to some of us. But that's why we have the whole Bible, to remind us, again, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Know why the Lord's Prayer says, Forgive us this day our trespasses, because you trespass God every day. We sin daily. Doesn't mean we lose our salvation and go back and forth, whether we're Christians or not. But what it means is, at any moment in your life, even in your darkest hour, even before death, God is so gracious that He would save any of us who look to His Son in faith and bring us into paradise. And here's the deal. 
We mustn't be caught up with whether it's a street of gold or whether all the other things that we might even see in the Bible. We mustn't get caught up on the stuff of paradise. I want you to see what makes heaven paradise, what makes it what it is. With me. You know the words? Today, you will. And notice he doesn't say, I really hope this thing's going to work out. He says, no, this is what I came to accomplish. Jesus Christ is not like other religious wannabe Christ. He didn't come to try and save people. He came to save. He didn't come to make sick people better. He came to make people who are dead in sin alive in Him. And yeah, praise God. And... And this is what it means to be a Christian. Whether we become one in our last moment or are walking with God today. And for those of you who are not, think about this carefully. It is to repent, to change your mind, to say, you know, now I'm seeing this. I am guilty. See, these two thieves represent the whole world in a metaphorical sense. Everyone falls into one of the two categories. You're either going to die in your guilt or you're going to repent and be promised paradise. Where do you stand? Where do you stand at this moment? I bet you never thought you were going to come and hear about an example from a criminal today. That's how God works, right? In mysterious ways. But above the example we see in a criminal, look at the glory of God. Every means possible to stomp out God's gracious plan of salvation is what Satan has thrown at him. And in the midst of what is truly the most unjust thing that was ever done, the only person who was innocent, taking upon himself countless sins to be punished on behalf of countless, numberless, innumerable people. Through the worst act in human history, these words can be yours and mine because of the grace of God. You will be with me in paradise. That is the only reason we have hope on days like today. And if you're feeling embittered, betrayed, wronged. Continue the list as you want to. Stand next to Christ and see someone who died in the place of people who put Him on that cross and says to us, in a sense, Will you turn to me? Because paradise can be had for all who look to him in faith. With Christ, there is paradise. For those who choose to reject this message, there is everlasting judgment. The same Jesus taught that. And that is what we all deserve. You know where I should be today? Not here. I should be in hell. 
And I'm not thinking about things I did. I was born guilty. You know that we all have the same parents, right? We all have the same problems. Adam and Eve, sin. And again, we can't unmake this problem. But God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Paradise. That is what I pray that all of us listening will receive today. And by receiving it, even though it takes a while to work out some of our kinks, that we can work through whatever challenges life may throw us. Fix your eyes on Christ. Because not only did He make this promise, He also said, I will make all things new. Making a new heaven and earth. He's coming back at an unknown time. Every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more sadness. No more sickness. No more will people have to watch our loved ones suffer. Every tear will be wiped away. And last but not least, death itself will be destroyed. If you want a a good read on this entire subject, there's an old English Puritan named John Owen who wrote a sermon, I think it was actually, named The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. This is what Christ came to do. To rise victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And paradise can be ours if we repent and believe in Him. Let us look to Him in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank You for this opportunity to look at passages like this, to think about these truths that perhaps are not the most comfortable or easy to think about. I pray that You would help us to keep our eyes fixed far higher than what is happening here on this earth. Even things that You are doing that are good, that we would elevate our focus and our faith to look to You. To live, to speak, to act. And to be shaped by these realities that at an unknown time You will come back and make all things right. And you hold the keys of death itself and of salvation in your hands. I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice would be moved by the power of the Holy Spirit now to see this truth and to commit their lives to you. For you are worthy. You are the only one who is worthy of our focus, our attention. So help us to understand what it looks like to shape our lives and our activities and our attitudes around all that you have done in grace and in power and in love. We thank you that you not only came and lived and died and that you rose again, and that you are coming back. 
And we look to that return. And we praise you that we can have hope and even joy on days like today. Because you are the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in you will indeed enter this paradise. So we thank you. And we ask that you would help us now. As we continue worshipping you in spirit and in truth. Please. We ask these things in your name. Amen.